Welcome to, welcome to the special focus meeting. Um, my name is Mike. I'm a compulsive overeater and your leader for this meeting. Hi, everyone. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The format for this session is as follows. Two speakers will share 50 minutes each, followed by 10 minutes of questions and answers, finishing up with 10 minutes of open pitches. This workshop is being taped, so you need to sign the audio recording authorization if you are going to share. The topic for this session is the men's meeting, and our first speaker is Ian. Hi, my name is Ian. I'm a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. I was uh, asked to speak at this meeting about half an hour ago. So I'm totally unprepared, and in any case, I never rehearse or anything. I just try to find a hook, and I haven't found a hook yet. It's, you know, I just try to find something that I can talk about. Um, and Michael said, well, share your story. I don't know my story is kind of story is a kind of men only story, but um, so. But he, since you said that, there's been something nagging me that I thought perhaps I should say tell you this part of my story, and it's scary. So that's probably a reason for me to do it. Um, the f- Michael L, you might know, is the region two chair, and at one time in his career, he's been the Chairman of the Board of Trustees of OA. The first time I met Michael, I was in full drag and he was teaching me the arm movements to YMCA. Um, and he asked me what my story was, and when he found out that I was straight, he didn't, you know, that was it, he, he finished. Um, the reason why I was in full drag was I used to cross dress. It's as simple as that. And I had no idea why I was doing that. I was doing it as part of my, I'm not going to say my recovery, but my trying to understand who Ian was. And it was a long and tortuous progress because that part of me, the the trade papers and the uh, the worst of the yellow journalists and so on, just make it out to be so sexual-based and erotic and kinky and all the rest of it. And I didn't feel that that was me. But I still did not know why I was doing it. Um, and I got... I'm a diabetic, and my doctor asked me to do uh, six meals a day. Well, I... I got diagnosed with diabetes while I was in program and my doctor asked me to do six meals a day. Six small meals a day. But I do not understand the world small. And so I was taking six regular sized meals a day and my weight just ballooned. And I'm still coming down from that several years later. Well, when it ballooned, not only could I not get into the frocks and stuff, when I did find a frock I could get into, I didn't look good, you know? And I know that there are a lot of ladies who are on the plus size. I'm married to one. Um, 
but I didn't want to be that kind of person. So the, fr- the frost got put away, and I guess it gave me a chance to look at that part of my life and think why I was doing it. I also um, went to therapy, and I covered that in therapy. And basically, we found that Chelsea was is my spiritual guide. She is a lady who I look to when um, I need to find a spiritual road through things. And I, it's not like I have a conversation with her necessarily, because I think that would be sick, but it's, it's more like, what would she do? If she was here now, what would she do? What kind of, uh, how would she react to something? And I find very often that that, for me, is the best way of handling that situation. Uh, a lot of old-time OAs know that I that I used to dress. And in fact, when Susan B. saw me at the beginning of this uh, convention planning, and she saw me with full beard, she said, well, you know, you're not going to be very passable with that. And uh, I said, no, I've I kind of stopped doing it. And I have. I mean, she's, she's stuck away in the closets. And, uh, um, but she's there still. She's, she's always going to be there. She's a part of me. Um, the rest of my story, with the non-male based one, as it were, is that uh, my wife threw me out of the house when I was uh, back in 84, and I, because uh, I was a lousy husband, lousy uh, father, angry, lazy, load of other character defects, and uh, I, I started, started screwing anything in skirts, to be fair. And one of the ladies was um, a recovering alcoholic who looked at my character defects and thought I must be one as well. Because um, we hadn't heard of OA. I mean, OA was a very underground movement back in uh, 83, 84 in England. So uh, she asked me to go on the wagon, which I did for three months, and she said, I don't understand this. You're an alcoholic who doesn't need a drink. Which I've always thought was a damn good definition for a compulsive overeater. Um, because I had the same problems and the same situations and so on as, as alcoholics have. It's just that I do not relate to the first step of AA in the same way that I relate to the first step, step one of OA. Um, she went to a retreat, which was an AA-sponsored retreat, and she met four people who were in AA and they were in OA. And after that weekend, we met up and she said, have I found a program for you? So I started coming to OA and um, the first group I attended had a reasonably mixed male and female uh, population. And it wasn't until I moved to America and I started attending daytime meetings that I found I was the only guy in the room. You know, I was convinced that I had a a female disease. Um, I've been a sponsor for the longest time and it's Typically, I do have male sponsees, but that's not exclusive with me. If somebody, for whatever reason, sees something in me that they want and they ask me to be their sponsor, I'm not going to say, you know, if they're a female, I'm not going to say, hey, no. You know, I'll say, well, you know, there is a, you know, the OA normally says you should, males should have males, women should have women. I don't know whether that, and the reason is, of course, uh, there's no sexual thing building up, but I don't know whether that is quite as applicable in California as it might be in other states. Um, but uh, I had a 15-year-old, 16-year-old um, 
female as a sponsee and she had a big, big crush on me and that uh, taught me a lot. It taught me how to handle somebody in that kind of situation without it getting sexual, without there being any tension there. You know, I had to distance myself but at the same time be that mentor, that, that caring personality to her. Um, my last sponsor was female. Uh, we had the most wonderful relationship, uh, so much so, the only reason that she stopped being my sponsor, she moved. She moved to Las Vegas, um, and I still phone her up, and she's not my sponsor now, I have one locally, but I still phone her up when I really have problems I need to talk to, and at our wedding, she was my best man. You know, I refused to call her my best woman, or my best person, or anything, but I wanted her to be my best man, and she did, and she did a great job of doing it. Um, so I don't know whether the, the stereotyping of, of males having male sponsors and females having female sponsors uh, is particularly pertinent. Um, as I said, when I when I went to the meetings in during the day, uh, I was the only guy there, and so I found a Saturday morning men-only meeting, and that was a hoot. That was so fun for a couple of reasons. One is that it was only men, and we could sort of you know, talk about the women folk as much as we wanted. And secondly, I think a lot of them were um, double hit, double winners, and so they encouraged uh, crosstalk. It was a it was a meeting that actually encouraged crosstalk. And we, if somebody we felt somebody was bullshitting in their share, we told them, you know. And it was it was great. It was a it was mixed because it was a breakfast meeting. And I don't know whether anyone's ever tried to eat around other. OAs, especially, you know, your sponsor or something, it's one of the most frightening things around. But, but <coughs> How much more time have I got? Six minutes. I'm going to give my six minutes up because I've said what I, I wanted to say. I've said a lot more than I wanted to say. I can't think of anything more to say, so thank you. Thank you. Um, our second speaker is Jim. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, I always I always start out with my speeches. Uh, I always say, um, "My name is Sue. How do you do?" Thank you. Thank you very much. A couple of movie stars. I'm going to start out where I first came into OA and how I had grown by watching one person go all the way to skinniness. Uh, I was a custodian out of high school and I had a teacher there that was nuts. Uh, six months I'd see her skinny. Six months, I'd see her very big. Six months, she'd be very little. she very, very big. I worked there three years, and it was just up and down. And so I got laid off, and I got back on a few years later. And I got over in the town of Soquel High School. And I had been driving back and forth, and I seen this uh, lady uh, running uh, along the sidewalk. I know she was skinny. So I noticed her about or three years. I said, wow, I wonder what happened to this person that 
couldn't control her emotions and her appetite. So I met her down in Long's one day, and I introduced myself. I said, well, you used to be your custodian. She said, yeah, I remember you. I said, I see you uh, running down in Soquel. And she sort of got uh, def uh, defended. I said, no, I just, uh, she said, why do you go that way? I said, I go to work. And I happen to go by the same time. And I noticed you are skinny. And I would like to know uh, what happened to you. And she said, I joined this, this club uh, called um, Away. And I said, what does that mean? She said, that, that means that I am a, like an alcoholic, but I eat food. Basically, uh, sugar and white flour. And that's what they both crave. It makes your brain happy for 10 minutes and puts on four pounds. And so I... Um, she said, well, uh, come on down. I go down here in Soquel, and she gave me the time and stuff, and I got busy, and I forgot. And I went um, two or three times down there, and I finally hit the jackpot, and I, I got in the meeting and got acquainted. And they said, we got a real good meeting over uh, behind the hospital on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, a real big meeting. So I went to that meeting, and, oh, the, the women were so graceful. They just... Hug me to death. You know, I'm just a big teddy bear with this big mustache. And and so I said, well, you know, that's, that's pretty nice. I've never had women uh, be that nice to me. And so I I, I came back. and uh, But I was very auspicious of the organization because you have so many cults that sign your, you sign your, your house and your money and all that stuff. So... I was really watching everybody. And so I noticed all they did was take up a few dollars, and, and that was it. And I said, well, I can't believe that. You know, when I used to join the church, I had to put out some big bucks to be a member. And I said, well, I guess I'll stick around for a while. So I stuck around for a while there, and, and I went about six weeks, and then my, um, my ex-wife died. And whenever somebody dies, I go to pieces. I go to the funeral, I'm laughing and I'm a joking and I'm a shaking hands and you think there's nothing wrong with me. When I come home, I fall all to pieces and I start eating. And I might eat for four months before I wake up. By that time, I've gained 40 or 60 pounds. And this happened uh, over a period of uh, three years. Every year somebody die and I go on a binge. I told my wife, I said, I, I sort of act like an alcoholic, don't I? Every time I can't say something, I go, uh, I go out and start eating. And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't face up to stuff. And so that was the only thing that, that uh, got me to overeat. And so... I was talking with this uh, young lady, and she said, now you're going down there to Redding, California. And she said, I want to tell you something. She said, uh, you're not going to meet the higher power down there. He's going to ride with you. I said, what? I don't think I like that. She said, no, he's going right along with you in that car. And when you go to church, he's going... He's going to go with you. He's not there waiting on you. He's right here beside you. I said, whoa, that's, that's heavy stuff, you know. And so 
I went on down there and I got all upset and I didn't come back. And there was one lady called me. Said, Jim, you coming back? I said, yeah, I thought I'd come back about six weeks. She said, why don't you come now? I said, okay. Say, just one phone call. You don't get me very, very many phone calls in a way. You know, you're here to, to uh, do the job and if you can't do it, if you don't ask for help, you, you, you're done. You go to the side of the road. And when you get up and realize you need more help, you come back, somebody to help you. So I, I, I came back and I began to really appreciate the group. Uh, I was only the only man there, so I got all the hugs. I mean, I just came back for the hugs because they, you know, nice, nice, nice women there. And so, you know, I, I, I never got hugged when I was a boy. You know, uh, slap you in the head, get out of the way. You're stupid, you'll never learn, you know. And so I appreciated them hugs, you know. And so, uh, let's see, what, what else happened? Um, uh, the first experience I had was that we would um, I'll go over to a restaurant and we would sit around tables outside and talk. And, of course, I had to tell my cry all my stories and everything, and so the woman that was going to help me couldn't talk. And a voice uh, came to me and it said, Jim, if you'll shut your mouth, you might learn something. So, I be quiet. So the lady that was talking was a pretty classy lady. She was well intelligent. She was sort of a lawyer. And she talked over my head a little bit, you know, in big words. But I've been trained to listen very closely, and I could get some good out of what she said. And so that went on for several, several weeks, months, maybe a year, off and on. And I begin to learn. And then in the meetings, I would, I would uh, first of all, I'll tell you this. I have what they call, uh, uh, I can't pronounce it right, they call it Alexia, where you see uh, letters backwards and people spell words to you. They just float around in your head and they come out backwards and all that stuff. So I, I never learned, learned to read. And so I'm, I'm not proud of that, but I'm not ashamed of it either. I mean, I can work with the best of them. I've been foreigners and stuff. I, you know, I can run crew just like anybody else. And so I, I, went to, um, I went to those meetings, and then I, um, I started having, um, well, I went to one meeting in Soquel. And when I went to this meeting, I would feel the happiness coming from the group, you know. And then when I'd go home, I would feel so, so, so sad. And I, and it got to me. I said, you know, I, I'm an open thinker. You know, what I think I generally comes up. And so I was talking to the crowd. I was, you know, talking there. Uh, yeah, I said, you know, I'm tired of stealing your guys' higher power. I come here and I'm so happy and I go home and I go sad. I said, I want my own higher power. And that's all I said. I went home. Next morning, about 5 o'clock in the morning, I don't get up early. I'm 11 o'clock, wake or upper. I woke up that morning, 5 o'clock. My mind was going 100 miles an hour. I had tingles going down my back and arm and neck. And I said, Lord, what's happened to me? 
So I got ready and went to the Sunday morning meeting, and a couple of girls said, Well, Jim, you've had your spiritual awakening. Well, I said, I asked for it last night. I wanted my own higher power. So you got to watch out what you ask for. You might get it. Uh, just very, very simply. And the, before I started um, away, I had a massive blood clot. I'd been going into my lungs for eight months, and then a big one cut loose. And I got up on a Saturday morning and went into the bathroom, and I did my thing, and I came through the door jam. I had a pain hit me right here for 45 seconds and 45 seconds over here. And I just couldn't breathe no more. Great big blood clot went through, blocked off one lung, part of the other one. And so I had sleep apnea, so I got on the oxygen, and I went in and seen the doctor, and they checked my legs and all that stuff, you know. Well, you ain't got no blood clots. There ain't nothing wrong with you. Matter of fact, the doctor told me out of his office. So I've been trying to get you to lose weight for, for three years. And said, now your lungs have quit just like that. And I said, doctor, your lungs don't quit like that. There's got to be something wrong. He said, I checked your legs. You got no blood clots? I said, that's because I already went through. So he threw me out of his office. Said he wouldn't be my doctor no more. So I went home for two days and nights and set up and breathed that oxygen. And I got pretty bad. And so my wife took me into a heart specialist. And I was on six units of oxygen uh, and breathing every bit of it. And I'd use three, three big things of it uh, in the hospital. And so he, he looked at me and listened to me. He said, well, I'm going to send you over to the hospital. I want you to take a test. So they, I went over there and they laid me down on that table. And I just died right there. I said, if you don't give me some oxygen, I said, I'm dying. So they gave me 32 units. Boy, you're talking about heaven come down. Ain't nothing precious in oxygen when you're dying. And I, and I just snapped right out of it. And so they ran me through that and they said, my goodness, Jim, said, your lungs are full of little bitty blood clots that had went through for the last eight months. And so they... Um, they took me upstairs and they tried to get blood out of my arm, but it was all collapsing. A funny thing happened. You gentlemen might uh, enjoy this. This uh, uh, Chinese doctor came in. It was my doctor, very, very nice doctor. And I had a little old nurse came in and she comes in and she's, oh, you know. And she took my hand with her hand and she stuck it over her breast. And so, uh, well, you know, you know, freebie like that. I, you know, I just sort of enjoyed it and. In the meantime, the doctor was cutting my throat over here, going down and getting the main blood vessel to put a line into my heart where they could shoot clear in, you know, because my blood vessels was closed. And then when she got, they got through, she just throwed my hand down. I said, well, that wasn't very much anyway. I don't know why I'm all upset. <laughs> Didn't have much anyway. And so um, I, um, I couldn't breathe. I know that if I went to sleep, I'd never wake up. So every time I got sleepy, I'd beat my head against the railing. And I stayed awake for 48 hours. And they was pumping bag after bag of two different kinds of chemicals that thin blood. About three days went by. I had 430 pounds on my tailbone. I was like a horseshoe. And if you want to get suffered, I mean, that blood clot was nothing to that pressure on my tailbone. And so I'd put it down and I couldn't breathe. And I'd put it back up. After the third day, I laid it lo loaded about three inches. 
and I could breathe a little bit. As soon as the doctor came in, he seen that. Well, Jim said, you're going to be all right. You put your bed down, I see. He said, you're going to make it now. The first day I seen him and uh, my wife go down the hall. And I said, I wonder what they're up to. So when I got better, I asked my wife. And she said, well, he wanted to know if you wanted to give up your organs. Organs? I said, I'm taking them suckers to the grave with me. Two minutes? Well, i just getting started, man. I practiced all night last night. For 20 minutes, I'm supposed to have here. And so I told that doctor, you need to uh, jump on me and cut my chest open, massage my heart till it starts. That's, that's, your, that's your orders. And so he said, well, okay. So I, I want to talk about this, this young lady that said, I can sponsor you up to the fourth step. So she sponsored me for about two years, and, and, I, and I couldn't read the literature, so I just listened to people that know what they were talking about, and my computer put it all together. And, and so one day she said, you know, Jim, I've been sponsoring for two years. You know enough to put back into the program. She said, I'm keeping you out of the nest. And I said, What? Yeah, she's very smart. She stood about 20 feet away. You know, that's sort of rejection. Very smart girl she was. And so you need to put back in the program. My people's cut out for you and everything, so it's your turn to help somebody else. I said, well, that's exactly what I need. That's exactly what I need. And so I I went back and I, I took the speaker thing. I did it for a year. This young lady said, young folks do it for six months. I said, what comes to why you didn't tell me? She said, I don't know. And so I gave it up. And then I took the, the books. Uh, one lady had it. She let me have it. I did her term. I did my turn. And then they said, been a year, Jim. You only get six months. So I had to give that up. So I gave that up and went right into the tapes. And... Uh, the reason I do that, it gets me back. I'm a lazy person. I'm not going to show up unless i got a reason to. So that makes me go. And I go five services. I go five services, uh, meetings a week to maintain myself. And I go to two places where I weigh because if I don't, I, I'll eat Monday and it takes three days to take it off. So I'm, I got to weigh Monday and Thursday. That puts a pressure on me. So I got to produce right after that that weigh-in. I got to produce right after the next weigh-in, and then uh, you know I can lose weight. So I've lost a, 105 pounds since last August, and uh, I was a bitch into the wall uh, one day because I made it through Christmas and a a um, uh, uh, car salesman said, "Looky there." Look how hard that was for Christmas. And I said, yeah, it was hard. I said, that higher power didn't help me at all. And I sided with that car salesman. You know how slick they are. And so I quit praying and meditating. Next month, three love people die. And man, I'm off, you know. And, uh, I, and so I got to thinking about it. I said, well, who said it was going to be easy? I was talking to the wall. I said, who said it was going to be easy? If it hadn't been for the higher part, I would have never made it. 
And so I went on talking like that, and I, I heard a voice that said, you was looking for excuse to overeat. And I said, I dare you to talk to me like that. And then I realized I was talking to the higher power, and I cut it short. And so uh, that's how I got de delivered from overeating. The higher power told me there was no excuse. I never thought of people dying and you grieving over and eating over. It was an excuse, but it was a hidden excuse that I had. And so I, I got used to it uh, without knowing it. So I guess I'm through. The man's got his card there. So what's next? Thank you. Okay, um, we have a couple ask and ask questions, and then we'll do open shares. Um, the first question is, I have yet to find a satisfactory sponsor, uh, but that might be me. How does one tell if, if one has um, a sponsor that works? How, does, uh, how do you find one? Oh. Uh. The simple thing is uh, find somebody who has what you want. So I guess you have to define what you want first. But to find somebody, you need to go out there and look. So get your ass to a whole parcel of meetings, especially those meetings where the sponsors identify themselves. Right? And find out who is sponsoring. And even if they say they're full, you know, cause some of them do, then at least you've got a name for the future. And if you haven't found anyone in two or three months, then go back and say you're still full, you know, because they may have dropped a sponsor by, a sponsor by then. Um, so go looking for one, make notes. I think the only way you're going to know is, I mean, there's two ways. One is that sort of it clicks. You suddenly say, oh, God, he, yeah, this guy is, is cool and hip and, you know, he has exactly what I want and he really reverberates with me, speaks to me, and so on. Um, but then you might find that, you know, he's... I don't want to offend anybody, so if you're how, then I'm sorry. But you might find that he's a house sponsor and he wants you to phone... He wants you to phone him at exactly 5.47 every morning and you know, all that kind of thing, and if that's not your bag, then sack him. I mean, you can do that gently and lovingly and, and so on and move on to the next guy. Um, it really is like looking for a job, you know, you're going to have to find one and keep on, uh, keep on getting rejected and keep on looking for a job that fits you as much as you fit them. Uh, was there another half of that, part of that one? Yeah, I, I yeah, I, and it's not you. Um, I don't think that Sponsors um, will reject people because they're new and obnoxious, and or even older than obnoxious, for that matter. Um, the newcomer or the older than obnoxious person is the most important in the person in the group, and that's what sponsors are for—to try to get them less obnoxious than they were when they came in. So, if you think it's you for a particular reason, for you got some kind of character defect, or you smell bad, or whatever, um, it's not. 
So just keep on trying, keep on out there, and keep looking, and you'll be successful one day. Thank you. Uh, Jim, you want to add anything to that? You have, to, you have to find a sponsor. Okay. All right. My first sponsor, I just sort of volunteered her, stayed on her case till she promised me she would uh, take me up to the third step, but no further because she didn't understand the fourth step. And there was an older lady there. She's about 83, going on 84. Uh, very smart, very brilliant, been in it for 30-some-odd years. And I wanted her to sponsor me. And she always was too busy. Too busy. Got too many people calling my house. I just don't have time. And so I found another girl, uh, and she would uh, call, and she would uh, read to me, and I had a permission to record it, and she went through the steps and stuff, and, uh, you know, the big book and all the rest of the books that are there. She did up to the fourth step, but she wouldn't go beyond that because she felt uncomfortable with the fourth step. And I said, well, go on past that. And she said, no, you got to have a fourth step. You need to go to a ministry or or some kind of a place and let them go through it with you because you're a man. And so I never got any more help till after I had that, um, that uh, visit from the higher power. And then as soon as I started losing weight and I went past 60 pounds, Went to 70 and went to 80. She said, Jim, you know something? I need to sponsor you. I said, how come you didn't sponsor me before? She says, I ain't got time for people that's yo-yoing around. She said, I'm in this thing all the way. And I just help the people that want to help themselves. So now you're straightened out and I plan on helping you. And I'm the type of person you can't be good to. You've got to get rough. All right. That older lady, she can get rough with you, boy. No, ain't going to do it, she says. Yeah. So, about other things, she just she is sponsoring me, and I've learned quite a bit from her, knowledge-wise. And she's very, very smart, smart and very cunning. Uh, <laughs> I ain't too sharp, so I have to think real long time see what I'm getting into. But she's pretty truthful. And actually, she does the most work in our group. That, that older lady that can't hardly walk, big hump in her back, five foot three. She uh, has Monday, Monday morning. She uh, has that set up for people to come in that wants to be a secretary. She gets some secretary, and she sort of takes care of the finances and stuff. And I drive her back and forth because I came down with dementia. And I'm not allowed to drive on the free, but just in town. So she sort of uh, guides me to the meetings. And there for a while, I, I, I couldn't find nothing. I was born and raised in Santa Cruz, and I couldn't even find my way around for about four months. And then I started getting better. They gave me some smart pills. I started getting better. And then, and then she does the Wednesday uh, meeting. And then uh, she was helping out on the Friday meeting, and she had that. And so she's doing more work than any of the young people around. And so I'm really, really proud to talk about her, because she's doing a, a, a good thing. 
And that's, that's how many sponsors I've had. And I never get up uh, when they say, well, do you have uh, uh, 30 days absent and everything. Uh, th that already uh, made me fall. Because the reason I say that, I, I had a guy on a job one time. I was uh, pitching in for the foreman. And he did a real good job, and I bragged on him. That guy never hit another lick. So I said, well, it's not, it's not good for me, so I'm just not going to um, say I have 30 days, uh, 60 days, and all that stuff. So when you, actually that's for the, the young people uh, starting out uh, to uh, encourage them. And then when you get up to that 100 pounds, you say, I've lost 100 pounds. Nobody says nothing. And so I asked this older lady, she says, what are you looking for, praise or something? I said, no, a little recognition would be good. I said, don't work that way, Jim. When you get up there and you start losing weight like that, you're on your own. You're on your own two feet now. You don't have to be babysitted no more. I said, oh, that's the way it works? Said, yeah, that's the way it works. And so now I'm a big boy. I don't need to be babysitted no more. And so... That, that's my sponsor uh, history. Um, a lot of time, a lot of time in between. I was just on my own. One of my sponsors, I called her and I said, I just went and got myself a big bag of uh, candy. She said, you take that candy, stomp it, and put it in the garbage. And I said, ma'am, I paid seven dollars for that. She said, go take it and give it to one of your neighbors. So I had this neighbor here, and I brought her this big bag of chocolate. She said, thank God for you. I just started my month. I can really use this. And so I really felt good. You know, I had to see good candy go to waste. So I gave it to her. <laughs> and uh, so everything worked out. So that, you know, uh, I had to call her a couple of times like that, and she had to slap me around mentally to get me straightened up. So I'm, I'm very happy with that young lady. All right, I'm through with that part. Um, the other question was uh, I'd like to start a man's meeting in the Diablo Valley. Which day is the best for men's? Do you want to answer to that? They want to start a man's meeting in Diablo Valley. Which day is the best? What valley? Diablo Valley. Is that around here? Well, I don't know too much about men folks. I only seen two or three of them. I know one here from our group. Uh, I think I've only seen about five in the last four years. Uh, I don't know if they can get a group started enough. There ain't enough of us. We're outnumbered. Uh, be nice if we could. I figured we'd have a room full of men folks, you know. And so it it never um, never happened. Uh, I lived over there for a long time, for a couple of years. I was the only man there. But I tell you one thing: I learned a few things about women. You cannot intimidate them. Ooh, yeah, you got to talk real soft. And so I, when I was speaker getter, I really had to, I learned a few lessons. It's like a do me boy when I got out of line. I didn't know I was out of line because I've worked with, with rough sawmill guys. You know, if you wasn't tough, then you was the underdog and you got kicked around. And so 
I had to relearn, I had to resurface and, and, and teach ladies in one group different than I treated a, a sawmill worker. I don't know too much about this uh, thing that he wants me to talk about, so that's why I'm filling in with this, this other words here. Thank you. I think Monday nights may not be a good night, because I believe there's uh, football on television, isn't it? Um, Saturday mornings. Saturday morning, I mean, I've, I've known a number of very good Saturday morning, as I said, breakfast meetings for men only. Um, other than that, I really don't know. The only thing I would suggest is there are enough online resources that you could probably go around and look at other intergroups and find out when their men-only meeting is, because if it works for them, then it might work for you. That's the only thing I can think of. Okay. Um, uh, now we're going to have three-minute positive uh, pitches, and I need you to come up to the mic, and um, and I need you to uh, uh, sign the form. And why don't I? Um, uh, I'm going to start first on my compulsive reader, and um, uh, the uh, I, I know I, there's a history of a, a men's meeting. Um, in the Bay Area, and, and what they did is um, they got six men to commit for six months to, to do all the service positions, and um, and that meeting lasted several years. Uh, you know, they got enough people involved uh, by doing that, and and like Ian said, they they advertised the. Um, this is a men's meeting. I'm sorry. Uh, they advertised the uh, the hell out of it. And they got they got speakers from um, all over uh, the Bay Area to come in and you know and speak. So, it, like I said, it, it did last for several years. Okay. So, um, anybody else want to come up and share? You sharing anything? Um, I belong to Sacramento Valley Intergroup and we've had a particular problem over the last year or so. Um, so much so, it's a problem that also affected World Service. If anyone went to World Service Business Conference this year, you'll have heard them allude to it because we had a particularly sick member of our, commu of our community, our fellowship, uh, sue us through Sacramento Valley Intergroup and the How meeting and also World Service and Lifeline and the local police force and all sorts of different people. Um, and one of the issues came, that was coming up was this guy was intimidating women at meetings. And so we were trying to find a safe way of women to have their meetings without him being there. And it was these two ladies that came in that, that made me think about this. But we keep on talking about that tradition that says... Um, the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. That's a, that's a requirement for membership of Overeaters Anonymous. It's not a requirement for membership of a particular group, a particular meeting. Right? Nothing in that tradition that says, yeah, anyone can go to any meeting. If, I mean, we're lucky in Sacramento that we've got 40 or 50 meetings a week, and I know that the Bay Area has got 
probably a lot more than that when you include all the different intergroups. So I, it's my feeling that if there is a meeting that somebody can go to that's not that far from the house and it's not a meeting, I don't want to say that he would be excluded from, but that doesn't fit in with his um, particular circumstances, then I don't think he should, he, you know, if, if, if somebody says, no, I don't want you at that meeting, he can go to that one. It's as simple as that. For instance, I took a friend who uh, didn't drive to a gay lesbian meeting in, in um, L.A. And after I got past the desire to say, hi, my name's Ian and I'm a straight compulsive overreader, uh, I found that it was a great meeting and they were very open with me, but they were talking about things that I know they wouldn't be comfortable talking about at a vanilla OA meeting, about um, their body image problems and so on, being, being gay and being lesbian. And I, you know, they said to me, no, if you're straight, then get up out of here. I'd have been quite happy to go because they need a place to talk about that just as much as the women in Sacramento Valley intergroup needed a place that they could go to without this guy intimidating them. And I am fully supportive of anyone who says we need to be able to exclude certain members of our community from certain meetings. So if you have a men's only meeting, then as long as it still focuses not on the fact that you're men, but on the fact that you're compulsive overeaters, then it should be as valid a meeting as a 100-pounder or anything else. And if you want to make it a closed meeting where women aren't allowed to attend, I would say go for it. Um, as long as there's a women's meeting or a, a regular OA meeting somewhere in the vicinity at about the same time as you have yours. My diet right. <laughs> Okay, we have uh, we have five minutes left. Anybody else want to come up and uh, make a pitch? My name's James. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, guys. Um, thanks, Jim, for your chair. It's really good seeing you here. We're from Santa Cruz, the Santa Cruz Fellowship. And um, I'm bummed that Ian left because his chair was um, really surprising to me. Having, um, you know, outward appearances be nothing of what you think of or what a person or who a person actually is. Um, it's my first time at the convention, so I don't know many people. I know there's a couple of people from my fellowship that will be here, but, um, you know, and a lot of times um, there's many things that I think, I, many walls and gates that I put up unconsciously, especially when I'm in a place where I think I'm different than everybody. You know, I, I walked in, and um, it's that terminal uniqueness, I think, that, that uh, it's kind of an illusion that kind of, I use to protect myself, I guess. Um, you know, I walk in here, I'm pretty much the youngest person I've seen so far, and, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't, I just feel, I feel really different. And um, what I what I got from Ian's chair, and I also got from your chair, is that I'm not that different. Um, you know, and the reason why we're here is that, you know, we have this common problem, we have a common solution, and we're all looking for it. And, um I just got here, so I'm, I'm still kind of settling in. Conventions are always um, 
anxiety producing um, because it's always it, they're always really amazing I mean that's been my experience and um, you know I just I find myself uh, really grateful today um, and uh, you know I'm trying to find the commonalities while I'm here that's 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 my intention uh, is to find myself you know despite outside appearances um, to find uh, a common thread with everybody and I think that's possible especially when I hear the solution and I hear people talking about um, how the program works with them because they're universal spiritual principles you know they're embodied that are embodied in the sets and uh, you know we can all do them we can all follow them and um, yeah, so I'm really grateful that we had a men's meeting. It's my first time ever being with more than two men in a meeting. Santa Cruz Fellowship is tiny. Uh, and there's, you know, Jim, you were talking about, um, like two of your sponsors were saying, I can only take you to the fourth step. You know, I can only take you to the fourth step. Because a lot of people haven't gone past the fourth step at, at our meetings. And, um, you know, I work in another program as well. And, uh, you know, I've done, I'm on my second four step, and it's kind of just like our fellowship needs help, you know, I feel like. Um, and uh, it's just really cool to be with a bunch of men in OA. It's a big deal. Now, I know a lot of alcoholics that will not face their food issues because when you take on the food, the sugar thing, it's it's a whole different ballgame. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful you guys are all here. And I'll, you know, I'll be looking for you around the convention. So, thanks for being here. Um, it's now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers, everyone who shared, and all that have done service for the session. Okay, uh, please stand, and if you can, form a circle, and we'll do the uh, unity prayer. I put my hand in yours. Beyond our wildest dreams, keep coming back. It works.